filters of positivity to the world. We have a mechanism to send kindness to the world. Now, my topic Hello, everyone. This is Melinda with Racing Girls Rock podcast, sponsored by the International Women's Motorsports Association. And our newest partner is iRacing. Now, if you haven't heard of iRacing, you must be living under a rock if you're involved in the motorsports industry. But iRacing is an online racing, it's, I don't want to say game, but it is kind of a game. And you can race against uh, all kinds of competitors and you don't have to even be good at racing. You can start out as a rookie and you can race against all kinds of people on dirt, IndyCar, um, NASCAR. So it's a great tool for you to use while you're stuck at home during this COVID-19. So I encourage you to go to iRacing.com and check it out. And right now, all the memberships are 50% off, so couldn't be a better deal. So today's podcast is with a young gal that I have followed through social media and um, followed from afar, I will say. Her name is Julie Land Julia Landauer, get it straight. And uh, I've watched her her moves from different kinds of racing, and I've followed her a little bit just to, to see you know, what she's up to, and she's such a, um, I want to say, successful race car driver, and she's also very good at social media, at um, telling about herself, what she's up to, and I love that, because that's all part of it, and so I wanted to have her on the podcast, and now that the coronavirus is keeping all of us indoors most of the time, um, I'm finding that the ladies that I want to talk to have a little more time in between their racing schedules. So Julia is going to join us today. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us, Julia. Well, thank you for having me and for the generous introduction. No problem. So Julia, why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, your family, where you live, maybe where you grew up, whatever you're comfortable sharing. And then how did you get started in motorsports? Yeah, you bet. So I'm from New York City, which I know is not a common uh, place to be raised if you're a race car driver. Um, but, you know, from the time I was a kid, I remember that we would watch Formula One races as a family. And um, my parents, by the time it was me, my sister, my brother, and by the time I was around eight or nine, my parents were starting to look for activities that we could all do together on the weekends. And they wanted something that you know, was competitive, something they really wanted something where their girls could compete against boys. And I'm sure that some combination of my parents wished they could have raced when they were little and they didn't. And um, so they, they found a go-karting track and it's actually the same go-karting track that Marco Andretti went to Oakland Valley Race Park in upstate New York. And um, I was 10 at the time and I loved it. I loved that I could kind of 
maneuver this machine. I really liked working with adults. I liked that I was allowed to work on the go-karts and get that mechanical experience. And then I loved going fast and I loved winning. So I raced competitively in national go-karts in the World Karting Association uh, for many years. And then I jumped up into racing cars when I was 13 in the Skip Barber Racing Series. And then when I was 14, I became their first female champion. So that was super cool, especially like going through puberty and being like a champion race car driver. It was a very big confidence boost. Um, and I knew by that point that I wanted to try to pursue it professionally, having no idea how difficult it is to make as a professional race car driver in this era if you're not from a racing family and with the means to do that. So, um, but I, I won a second championship in 2015 when I raced limited late models at Motor Mile Speedway in Virginia um, and raced in K&N for two years and the NASCAR Pinty Series. And then this year, whenever we get back to racing, I will be racing in the Euro NASCAR Series um, for PK Car Sport, which is a really, really competitive team. So I'm just excited to go out there and try to win races and hopefully get the championship. Yes. Yeah, so I, like I said, I followed you a little bit through your, through your career. And I know you've had lots of firsts where you were the first to do this or that. So um, do you have any other firsts that you can remember that you want to share? Ooh, that's a good question. Put me on the spot right there. Um, <laughs> I think so first, first woman, first and youngest woman to win a Skip Barber championship, first woman to, I, it might be, no, it wasn't a set pole at Motor Mile, but the, for a while I was the highest finishing woman in the K&N series, and then Haley Deegan obviously got third, um, which is great. I love seeing successful women in racing. And uh, I'm trying to think of other – I don't know if you have them. You're going to have to remind me. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, just, I was just reading through some things preparing for the podcast, and I just was impressed that there were some first – you were the first – race car driver to be on survivor i'm guessing oh that's true <laughs> that is true yeah so how how was that experience it was really uh, interesting i mean it's very authentic and i don't think it would be on the air for as many decades as it has been if it wasn't real i mean it's really tough it's very challenging i'm it, i'm so happy i did it it wasn't I wouldn't go so far as to say it was fun. Like the challenges were really fun, but it was, it was tough. It was the first time I couldn't trust anybody. It was really cutthroat. You're very physically uncomfortable. I was super sunburned. Um, I lost a lot of weight and just like, you know, you get really fatigued very easily. Um, but it, it was such an interesting strategy. And if it didn't interfere with my racing season, I would love to do it again because I just feel like I've got a lot more to prove with that. Um, but it's really cool. And it's a cool, kind of fraternity to be a part of because no one quite knows what it's like you, you can be the biggest fan but to actually be out there and to you know be on day seven or ten or fifteen of limited food limited water with people who are kind of crazy and everything it's it's a lot yeah I mean it's kind of true about pretty much anything it's one thing to watch it on tv it's another one to be there and experience it and actually, that's so true with racing also, yeah. because it, I'm amazed. And when I was at school, especially a lot of my classmates and my friends weren't familiar with racing. And so um, when they would come out to the tracks, like I had friends come out to Sonoma Raceway and I've had friends um, come out to like Madeira Speedway and Stockton and, um, you know, 
they'd seen bits and pieces of racing on TV, but then to see it in person, they felt the electricity, the energy, they saw how many people went into making racing work. And that's like most people who I talk with, you know, they might've felt so, so about racing before they went to a track and then they have a whole new appreciation for it. You know, that is absolutely a hundred percent spot on. Um, one of the things that I was supposed to be doing this summer for IWMA was holding some events at some NASCAR tracks as well as some other tracks. And the events are going to be uh, like a small panel of women in the infield that'll be sharing about their life in racing. And it could be a wife or a driver or a tire specialist or a pit, you know, a pit reporter. Because my goal is to get women and men, but you know, women, I focus on women mm -hmm. to get them to the track and get them to the infield because once they see, hear, and smell everything, they are going to be hooked 99% yeah. of them. And then they'll come back. And so that was one of my goals. And I've had two events postponed now, but I know we're going to get to that. And, and mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to do that this summer. But you're so right. If you can just get them there, yeah, hooked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So tell me a little bit about the, I believe it's called the NASCAR Whelan Euro Series. That's the yep. technical name. Um, tell me a little bit about that and how did you, you know, actually really get over there and be yeah. chosen to be a driver? I know you're going to be a, a driver on one of the teams there. Yeah, so I, um, when I was in the NASCAR Next program in 2016, 2017, one of the classmates with me was Alon Day and he is a I believe a two-time Euro Series champion so I was kind of introduced to it then and like the series as a whole and then a couple of people who work at NASCAR who I've met over you know throughout my years of, of racing had said that they thought it would be a really cool series that I would really enjoy it that it was something to consider um, and you know I was set in K&N and we were moving up in North America and then you know when we got to this year and just kind of assessing what I had the budget for what I could commit to and what would get me the best equipment and everything I kind of revisited the the Euro series and I actually went over to France and tested one of the cars on a recruitment day that they had and was connected with um, Anthony Kumpen at uh, PK Car Sport and we just were talking and talked about our goals and what we wanted and uh, we were able to work out an agreement and I was able to go racing or I will be able to go racing so really cool really different I'm excited to kind of have a different um, type of NASCAR racing. You know, it is primarily road course. There's one oval in the Netherlands. But to kind of just see what another culture is like in racing, I think, you know, I love I love NASCAR in the States. I always have. And but I also think that experiencing as many different types of racing can be really cool. So going over there and just seeing what it's like will be a lot of fun. And we go to some incredible racetracks and I'm Really excited to work with data again. There's a lot of in-car data that we get to look at and that we get um, feedback on, which I think really suits my driving style and just how I think. Um, so I'm, I'm just really looking forward to it and hoping that sooner rather than later, we get to go back to it. Yes, and we know we are. We're not giving up on racing, mm -hmm. but um, we just don't know when. That's the only exactly. thing we're not sure about at this point. So um, I believe you will be racing seven races if they reschedule and get all the races in and um so what's your life look like you know where do you live and then do you you just fly in time yeah. or do you go over there and stay and travel what, what's your plan going to be 
Yeah, so it's seven weekends and they're all double header weekends except for one. So we'll get 13 races. We'll race Saturday and Sunday, which is another really cool thing about the sport, I think. I, I was raised in, you know, kind of go-karts and formula cars where we did do the two races per weekend, which is a lot of fun. Um, and I'll still continue to be based in Charlotte. I've been in North Carolina for five years, ever since I graduated college. Um, and I will fly back and forth. I, depending on when certain races get rescheduled for, there might be you know, a two or three week period where I just stay over there. Um, and some combination of staying around the team or my boyfriend is actually French. And so maybe staying with his family, there are options to stay over there and just fly back and forth, I guess, for the most part, we will see lots of, lots of miles. Lots. Yeah. <clears throat> You're going to rack up the miles. Yes. So that, I guess that's not a bad thing because, uh, that's, that's always good. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I have to laugh because people who don't travel very much think that travel is so like glorious and exciting. And, and after you travel a little bit like you do and like I yep. have, you realize that travel is not anything to get excited about. It just gets you from one place to the other. So there is nothing glorious about a red eye flight and it's definitely exciting. It's an exciting lifestyle, but yes, you get into routine, you learn how to pack your bag properly, how to, optimize your time at the airport and limit how much time you're just sitting and waiting and hoping that the travel gods shine down on you and exactly make your travel smooth. Yes, that is, that is the truth. I've been really lucky in my years of travel. I haven't had any really horrendous experiences. So that's great. That's, that's a good thing. Yeah. I had a stressful moment back in February because when the tornadoes were going through or there were tornado warnings in North Carolina, I had to fly up to New York State for a speaking gig. And I was like, I can't not make it. I need to go make it. I'm like, you know, the main attraction there. And um, it was it was more stress than I needed, but we did make it and I made it back. So that was good. Yeah, I, I remember when those were, were going through there and it was kind of an odd time of year for that to be happening too. Mm -hmm. I think. So nobody was, was thinking that was going to happen. So yeah. let's talk about your speaking a little bit, because I know that you are a sought-after speaker. Um, I know you did a TEDx talk at one point. Mm -hmm. And so what kind of groups do you go to speak to, and what do you talk about? Yeah, so I'm really lucky at this point that the messages that I talk about, which is everything from a little bit of my stories to lessons I've learned, and I you know, just used examples and stories from, from my life, um, but they're really applicable to a lot of groups. So I speak with universities, I speak with corporations, I speak with different associations, chambers of commerce, you know, it really... I, I like that I can speak with bankers and I can speak with women's leadership groups, you know, um, and I talk about things, everything from, you know, taking ownership of whatever your situation is to dealing with aggression, you know, taking risks and safety and, you know, how to work with fear and not let it paralyze you. So and I like to make people laugh. So I like to make my stories as funny as I can while still sharing an important message. And um, I gave my first TEDx talk in 2014 when I was a senior at, in college. And so from then, I've just been able to fine tune and practice and see what works, what, you know, there's sometimes when in years past, I had kind of made stories and I thought the audience was going to laugh and then they didn't laugh. And I learned, all right, you know, that's not as funny to other people. So let me tweak it. And now I've got a pretty good formula now. And I, I'm able to, you know, curate my messaging depending on what the, the client needs but it's a lot of fun and it's cool to 
show that my experiences with racing, which a lot of people are not familiar with, can still be relatable. And it's still, you know, still going through some of the same learning curves that other people are going through. So it's a lot of fun. Right. And, you know, really, when you get down to it, motorsports is a business, just like banking or a lot of other businesses, you know, and, and there's a learning curve and all the things are very similar. It's just that it's motorsports instead of insurance or whatever it might be. So you yeah. can probably apply a lot of the things you've struggled with and learned to, to those people. And I, I think it's cool that, that you do that because it also shows that um, what it takes to be a race car driver and that you're a very smart, educated, you know, woman who has a story to tell. And I love that, you know, they inc include you in their speakers or whatever it yeah. might be. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, Julia, what is your favorite place? Do you have a favorite track that you've ever raced at? Yes, I do. So I'll break it down into road courses and ovals. So for my favorite road course, it's Road America in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. Um, I've done that in Formula BMW and Skip Barber. I love that track. It is fast. It has technical corners. It's got a lot of elevation change. It's beautiful. Um, so that's, that's my all-time favorite. And then in terms of ovals, I love Bristol. I've only done one race there. It was rain shortened. We only made it to halfway, but because Paul, I, I didn't, I only raced a handful of K&N East races. So qualifying got rained out. I had to start at the back. So I think it was like 20th or 22nd. And then I just like, my car was a little free and I just passed people on the outside and made it up to seventh place at the halfway. And I was so looking forward to the second half of the race to see how far up we could have climbed. Um, I don't think I could have won the race because we definitely, I clearly remember this, my brake pedal was getting a little squishy, so I had to pump it up going into every corner, which is a little scary on Bristol. So I don't know if I could have had that extra, that all, like, you know, had all of it needed to get to the first place, but I think we had a top three car uh, by the time the race got called for rain, but that was just so much fun. Cause it's yeah. blind. You get confused as to which corner you're going into. Cause you just can't see anything. And luckily I got lucky and there were no crashes right in front of me and my spotter and I work really well together. So it, it was just so much fun. Yeah. So I haven't been to Bristol yet, but that's one of the places you have to get there event, it's amazing. event this year. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's on my bucket list. My bucket list is every NASCAR track at least once. And some, some of them I've been to several times already, but um, that's that's one of my bucket list items yeah and, uh, you know um i've been to elkhart lake i again beautiful track i i we went there to see the motorcycle races a few years ago oh, cool. um, my husband and i ride motorcycles i don't ride as much as i used to after i had back surgery but mm -hmm. my husband and i went there to see the um yeah i can't remember motorcycle whatever the series was at the time and oh my gosh absolutely beautiful we loved it that and mid-ohio are two of our favorite tracks so i've never been to mid-ohio but i've heard it's awesome it is and it's it's similar as far as scenery i think to mm -hmm. um you know wisconsin but um mid-ohio we we went there every summer for 10 years in a row to the motorcycle cool. races so yeah that's awesome yeah. lots of lots of fun so is there a track that you haven't raced at that you would like to race at? Yeah, so a lot of the, you know, 
bigger NASCAR tracks, I haven't been on anything over a mile. So, um, but in terms of smaller race tracks that I haven't been to, I haven't done Watkins Glen yet. And that's one that's, I guess that would be my local road course. Um, and I've, I've watched, you know, lots of races there. Also a beautiful part of the country. Um, and so I've never raced there. Um, I have never done Bowman Gray and I feel like I should just do that at some point. Um, cause it's, it's so iconic. Right. Um, and then, I mean, obviously Daytona, I've never raced on, I would love to. And, um, I'd love to go back to Iowa. I never did well there in the K&N car. We just always had problems. Um, but I would love to go back and try to master that one. Oh, interesting. Bowman Gray has a history and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's one that's on my list as well, because you always hear so much about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, lo- love to go there. And, uh, I'm going to be at Iowa this year in June, as long as we're back racing by then. Yeah. An event. Yeah. We're going to be at the, uh, Iowa Speedway on June 12th. And then we're going to be at Knoxville on the 13th doing events for women. So oh, great. Crossing my fingers about those. those yeah. Events. Yeah. Is there something that, um, like when you're interviewed, is there a question that people ask you all the time? Um, a question I get a lot is what's it like to be a woman in racing? And I think that's a super valid question. And I think, you know, it's an interesting and every woman racer deals with it differently. I think, you know, to me, it's normal. I don't know what it's like to be a guy in racing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's normal. And I think it's important. Um, so many industries in the world are male dominated. And so I think it can be a really helpful um, thing for just other communities to be able to talk about, you know, things I've experienced as a woman that I might not have as a man, both good and bad, so that other people who are, might be in similar situations might not feel alienated or feel like they're alone or, you know, I've had friends who in the professional world can relate to some of the stuff I talked about with racing and they're like, okay, I know other people are going through this. So let me just figure out how to get through. Um, at the same time, I always want to be the best racer out there. I don't want to be the best female racer. And I, I like when I'm just referred to as a race car driver, you know? Um, so it's, I kind of want to like, I want the good things from each approach to take. Um, so that's a question that I get. Um, a big question I get, especially from non-racing outlets, is have I ever crashed? And everyone familiar with racing knows that every racer crashes, probably right. more than once. Um, and yes, it is scary, and you know it's going to be expensive to fix. And um, But those are probably the biggest, the biggest, most frequent questions I get. Okay. So is there anything about your experiences in racing that you would say has helped you through another part of your life? Like... You know, you said when you share with your friends who are in corporate business or something and they go through some of the same things, is there anything that you've experienced through being a race car driver, woman, it doesn't matter that you're a woman, that's helped you with something else in your life? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I've learned a lot of lessons, luckily. Um, But a big one is perseverance um, and, and sticking with something and whether that's from the on the driving side, because if you get into a lull or like a handful of races that aren't going well, how you can then stay positive, how you can motivate the team to stay positive, that's a that kind of leadership is such an important skill for anyone to have if you work with other people. 
Um, and then, you know, and then also on the, you know, on the sponsorship side and trying to get sponsors and you get so many more no's than anyone at all interested in a yes. And so kind of figuring out, you know, maybe what you did well, what you didn't do well, what you can fix for the next time, I think kind of goes back to that taking ownership that I mentioned earlier, you know, you're not, there are plenty of things you're not going to have control over. Um, but knowing what you can fix, what you can change to try to make it better, is important. Um, I think communication skills you have to learn in racing are really valuable. Um, uh, and especially understanding that people hear things differently. And so on the radio where, you know, it can be staticky or you've got other people, you know, chiming in, being able to have clear, concise feedback um, is important. And I think those are, those are probably the biggest lessons that I think are relevant. So what I take from what you just said is that there's a lot of life skills that you can learn through being a race car driver. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's super cool. And I think, um, you know, again, it's interesting for me because so much of my world is not racing based New York city, you know, college, like not a lot of it was surrounded around racing. So being able to kind of bridge those worlds has always been cool and to change, you know, my friends and, you know, professors, their perception of what NASCAR is specifically, but maybe other forms of racing also and appreciate the engineering and technology and innovation and communication and teamwork that goes into it. It's all so cool. And it's a, I feel like racing is this really complex 3d puzzle where you just need so many pieces to fit together correctly in a very complicated way uh, to make it work but then when it does work it's the most satisfying feeling out there and that's why we keep going back even though we are much more likely to not win than we are to win right. I think um, what I try to tell people and why you know maybe race car drivers are a little crazy is that Jeff Gordon one of the winningest race car drivers uh, in NASCAR history he had like a 15% win rate that's absurd like that's so low but once you get that win, you need more of it and you just need it. And, you know, you keep fighting for it. Um, and so I just think that's really cool. <clears throat> you know, if a, if a football team only had a 15% win rate, the coach wouldn't be there very long. The quarterback wouldn't be there very long. They'd get rid of exactly. that too in racing, you know, although, you know, they do change and crew chiefs and that change, but it's not the same thing. All you've got to do is watch a pit crew during a pit stop and know that it takes choreographed, you know, um, precision, speed, strategy. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, there's so many things that you can learn by watching. But, you know, I think my biggest thing is a lot of people go to a race of any size, small track, NASCAR, whatever. And they, they sit in the grandstand, which I'm glad they're there, don't get me wrong, but they don't really get it. They don't see the inside workings, which I always encourage people to go to the infield, get a pit pass, whatever it takes. Go there and see, you know, all the, like, even just the tool chest. I mean, there's just so many yeah. things about racing that you don't even think about. And, you know, go get a tour inside a hauler and where they keep the extra car, all the things about racing. It's just such a cool, you know, setup in the infield and how it works to get that car on the track. And too many times people go to the racetrack, they sit down, they watch the race, they moan and groan about whatever, and they don't take into consideration all of the expertise, time, money, 
everything that goes into putting that car on the track. And I, I always encourage people to go to the infield. Totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree with getting to the infield. So is there something that most people don't know about you? Like, it, you know, I, I was surprised to learn about Survivor. So mm -hmm. is there anything? Survivor's else? a big one. That's a big thing that people don't know about me a lot of the time. Um, I, hmm. What? Um, I'm a little afraid of the dark, I will be honest. Okay. Um, I'm okay with city dark. Like growing up in New York, I had no problem being outside at night. It's the rural dark that's like, you don't know what animals are out there. You um, don't have any lights all around. So that's a quirky little thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I try to be pretty transparent, especially on social media, about kind of who I am and what I do. Um, I'm, I am really close with my sister and brother, and we FaceTime every week, and we have since I went away to college. So it's been almost 10 years of almost weekly FaceTimes, and I think like you know it's something my parents worked really hard at keeping us close and now they're just my biggest support system and I think that that's you know especially anyone I mean in life in general but especially kind of if you leave your home and leave what you're comfortable with to go to a new state um, you know pursuing a career that has a very small chance of success I think a lot of it's really important to have that core support system and that's been huge for me so I think that's a big part that I you know I hope other people can be really close with their siblings too. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful for mine. Yeah. And, and during the time right now, which we're going through this COVID-19 thing, 19 thing, I see families coming closer together that maybe. Yeah. And um, I was just speaking with someone earlier today and we were talking about finding the positives in all of this negativity. And that's one of the things I've seen so many things on TV where, you know, they say, oh, I, I'm using this time to do this with my family or, or yeah. to whatever. And so I'm, I enjoy finding the positives in what otherwise is a really negative and kind of dark time for yeah. us. Yeah, um, so true. And I think, and I was talking with friends yesterday, you know, we're all kind of making the time to reach out to friends that we haven't talked with for a while. It's like, hmm, maybe we should be doing this more often, not just in the time of, uh, of um this you know this stressful time and i think it's a nice reminder for a lot of people that you know to be very present and to reach out to the people that are important yeah i i agree i <clears throat> that's one of the things that i've had i've had some people reach out because they know i live in michigan and you know michigan's been in the top four you know of yeah. all this, but it's mostly detroit i mean we have some going on over here on the east side of the or the west side of the state but yeah um, you know, it's, it's funny, the one, the people that reach out to you that you least expect, and that's been kind of cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Julia, do you have any kind of a workout routine to stay in shape for racing? Because I know a lot of people don't understand that it, it takes a lot of strength and, and things to be a race car driver. So what, is, what would be your success for keeping in shape? Yeah, for sure. And for people who don't, who might not quite get it, you know, imagine you're muscling around 3,400 pounds of machine in a sauna for hours on end while having to do the mental strategy of racing. So it's just a lot. And so I meet with a personal trainer. Um, he's Trey at Podium Performance Fitness, and he's up in Cornelius in North Carolina. And um, we do a mix of strength and endurance training and neurological training and like using different apps like 
when I'm really fatigued, like focus apps. And so when the car, when I'm really fatigued, I don't lose my mental acuity. Um, we also do breathing exercises because if you think about being in a race car, you're kind of crunched up with a really tight seatbelt. So being able to optimize breathing in a crunched setting, if you will. Um, and then I love running. I find it very therapeutic. I am competitive with myself. I enjoy pretty scenery. And so I do that. And then I typically do a day of my own kind of um, strength circuit training. And now during COVID-19, um, still running a lot because that's the easiest thing to do. Um, but keeping social distancing yeah. and um, and then our the gym is closed in my apartment building. So I'm doing a lot of body weight exercises at home, you know, lots of push-ups, lots of core stuff. There's a lot that you can do um, with just your body. So it's just important to be able to stay mentally and physically sharp for however long the races are. Right. Absolutely. And just for keeping your saneness during all of this time too. Oh yeah. I think physical activity is one of the most important things you can do. I feel very lucky that I get to do it and I have to do it for my job, but whether it's just walking every day or something, like it's important to just take some time to not look at your phone, not take in the news and just be with yourself, be with your thoughts and get some fresh air. Yeah, absolutely. So you said you love racing. What else do you like to do when you're not racing? I mean, I'm sorry, you said you liked running. What else do you like to do when you're not racing? Yeah, um, so I really love, I, I love hiking. I love being outside. Um, I also really love cooking and um, um, you know, experimenting with more recipes. Um, I've gotten really into board games recently. So like, I really love Settlers of Catan and I'm doing jigsaw puzzles and poorly timed, but there's a game called Pandemic, which is actually really cool. And you play like everyone works together to try to solve the pandemic. So again, got that before the pandemic hit. So maybe it's a little too soon, but um, no, I love that. And then I love, you know, seeing friends and family. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I saw where, the j jigsaw puzzle industry had an in a ten thousand percent increase in their sales. Oh, I'm sure. Uh -huh. I'm working on a two thousand piece puzzle puzzle right now, and it is so insanely difficult and driving me mad. But it's a good way to just focus on something and see some immediate gratification. Exactly, and then there's always Netflix. I've heard all about the um, King. Tiger King? Tiger King. And so um, my husband and I live in the country. So Netflix s sometimes works really good. And other times, you know, it, you get to watch it and then it spins for a little bit, which is irritating. So we haven't tried yeah. to watch it, but I guess we're going to have to jump on board and, and watch it because I keep watching all these people talk about it. So I'm going to check. Yeah. Good luck. I've watched one episode and I think I need to take a break. It's a lot. Yeah. I, I've heard it's pretty intense as well, but my, I think my husband would probably like it better than I would, but we're going to... It'll be fun. Yeah, we'll check it out. Yeah. So is there anything that you have learned, and you're still young, but I, the question's really, what have you learned later in life you wish you had known earlier? Yeah. So, no, I still have an answer for that. I think um, I wish that I hadn't, you know, especially my teenage years and early 20s, hadn't cared so much about other people's opinion, especially if they're not people that I respect and care about. 
um, I think that's a big lesson. If you don't respect someone or if you don't aspire to be like someone, don't necessarily take their feedback or their opinions to heart. Um, And I think that that's just, it's something you have to learn. And some people innately have a lot of self-assurance and self-confidence and they don't have that issue, but a lot of people um, do. And I think a lot of women in particular were kind of raised by society to care what other people think. Um, And, and, finding being comfortable doing things for me and the way I believe and you know again asking for help and taking advice where it's needed but not doing things for other people unless you're intentionally trying to do charity you know then you can do stuff for other people but not forming my day-to-day and my goals and how I view myself you know just for other people yeah we can't base our life decisions on other people's opinions exactly I don't know if it's, I I don't know if you're familiar with Rachel Hollis, but a little uh, bit. Yeah. I haven't read her books, but I I know who she is. Definitely both of her books. Absolutely. On your reading list. Great books. Um, but that's one of the things there's a couple things that she said in her books that I take to heart. And one of them is that is, you know, you can't make your life's decisions based on what your husband thinks is best for you or your mother or your friend, you know, it's yeah. your life and you're the one that in the, ultimately you're going to be responsible and they're not going to be around, you know, when push comes to shove. And so, yeah, you need to take, take care of you first. And exactly. Um, and you can take care of other, and I don't know if she says this, but you can do a better job for other people if you serve yourself first. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, I fully believe that. that says that I think it's good advice as well. Since we're talking about her, I'll share it with you. Um, she says you can only do one thing really well at a time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, for me, I, I have a, you know, the IWMA and, and that, which I'm really focused on. I also had a send out cards business. I still have it, but all I do really is send a lot of cards at this point. But mm-hmm. um, you have to focus on one thing and do it well. And then you can add something else. And I thought that was a good piece of advice because especially as a woman, we try to multitask way yeah. more than we should sometimes. Yeah. And so I've, I've really taken that piece of advice to heart. So that's another good one. Yeah. No, I think that that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So if some, if for some reason you had to stop being a driver, would you stay involved in motorsports and, and how would you see that happening? I assume so, but I'm not entirely sure. I also, especially when a career is very challenging, I kind of think that as soon as you start doing a deep dive into what plan B or plan C is, you kind of start, your mental focus might go towards that. So I I would assume I would like to do something with racing if I, you know, at some point I'm going to stop racing no matter what. And so my life will not come to an end at that point, right? You know, there's got to be more stuff. But I would probably try to use the other stuff that I've done so far, whether that's speaking, whether it's, you know, continuing my STEM education advocacy, maybe that's around motorsports. But I can't give you a concrete answer because I have, I've intentionally not put a lot of thought into it so that I keep, keep on the path that I'm, okay. you know, that I dream about. Yeah. Okay. And you do have a great speaking career, so you kind of have a plan B. Yeah, it's there. So I know it'll, it's a safety net, um, but I'm going to keep trying to make racing work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't give up on that. You're too, you're too. Nope, not until I have to. And we're not there yet. So, 
So a question I, I like to ask, uh, because I like, you know, I like to know what people think and, and how their brain works and that. And so when you get into the race car and you buckle in and you're ready to go out to race, what's going through your head? Yeah, so I get, um, I always get butterflies before I get in the car. Like I get nervous, um, you know, a lot of, it's, a, it's an excited nervous, but it's still nervous because the whole team's been working hard. There's a lot on the line. You want to win. Um, and so those nerves are definitely kicking in, and I do a little sprint before I get in the car. Like, usually it's just to the bathroom and then to the car before driver intros. Um, but do that sprint. Get that energy out. And then as soon as I climb through the window, it's kind of just focusing on the, you know, steps to buckling in, getting my, you know, helmet on, Hans on. And then I just uh, do some breathing. I control my breathing. I calm myself down. And then as soon as we start rolling, basically, I'm just like, you're kind of in the zone. Um, and if you're not, then there's a big problem. But, um, you know, for the most part, it's just ready to go racing. And you just kind of, your brain and your body do what they have to do. Yeah. It's, it's kind of muscle memory a little bit. Yeah, there. it is. Right. Yeah. So do you have a most memorable moment so far in your racing career? Um, first Skip Barber win is very memorable. Um, my first, I knew I had the championship wrapped up pretty like a race or two before the end. So when I actually won the championship, it was really great, but I kind of knew it was going to happen. Um, and then in 2015, when I won the late model, limited late model championship, I hadn't raced full time in a bunch of years because I'd been going to school and everything. And so for me, that season was kind of a do or die season because it was the first time I was out of school. It was the first time I didn't have to balance school and racing. And so, and I was on a great team with Lee Pulliam and Lee Pulliam Performance. And so I knew that their stuff could win. And so it was kind of like, okay, well, if I don't perform, I have no excuse. And so to get that first win was incredible. And that was the first race of the season. But then to win the next race, um, the second one in a row was like, all right, I deserve to be here. Like this is, I'm good now. It wasn't just a fluke. And, um, that was incredible. Um, but then also just, you know, there are some weeks, I don't remember the specifics, but just weekends where nothing goes right for all of practice, all qualifying, maybe heat races and go-karts. And then you just get it together for the race. And even if you don't win, if you're able to salvage a good finish, like towards points or something, those are always satisfying. Um, but yeah, lots of, luckily lots of good memories throughout racing. Yeah, it sounds like. So, you know, the second win in a row gave you some validation that I am in the right spot. It's not just in my head. And so that's, that's a good thing. And then on the days when it goes wrong, it's perseverance. We're not giving up. Even if we yeah. finish last, we're still going to figure out what we could have done better and work on that next time. Right. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you have any idea what the fastest is you've ever driven? Oh, yeah. I've gone 174 miles an hour. Okay. I know exactly the fastest I've gone. And where was that? That was at um, Utah Motorsports Park in the K&N race. Um, yeah, it's about a mile long straight away. You get yeah. bored real quick. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so then you have to make a really tight turn. Uh -huh. And uh, then that gets your attention again. Yeah. That's very cool. So in the, in the series that you're going to be in, the Euro series, are there other women that race in that series? I think there are. I think there's an Italian woman. I don't 
have a full entry list with the driver's names, but I think there's one or two others. Okay. Yeah, well, we'll find out. Yeah, well, you find out when you get there, and then you connect me with them, because I'd be interested in I will. Well, that would be a cool interview to you do. Bet. If they speak English, which I think they should, I think that's the common language they make everyone speak, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> do you have a goal, something that you really want to attain before you stop racing? Yeah, I want to, I mean, I short-term goal is to race trucks eventually. And, you know, I'd love to be able to get into a cup car, you know, I mean, that's, that's the ultimate right now. And so I'm just going to keep working as long as I can uh, try to make that happen. I've done a lot of good work so far. I've got to keep doing that have a little bit of luck, show some good results and you never know what will happen. Right. Exactly. And, and build, keep building those relationships because that's really a big part of it too. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, Julia, a lot of drivers are superstitious. They wear the same shirt or the same socks. Are you superstitious at all? And if so, in what way? Uh, not, not quite as much. I put my gear on the same way every time. Um, but besides that, like, I'm not quite as superstitious. That's good. That's good to hear. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's good or bad. Like, as I said, I still need to put, like, my gear on in the same way. But it's more just like a compulsive thing, not really a superstitious thing. Yeah. And it's really more of a habit. It's yeah. a habit yeah. more so than anything. Yeah. So yeah. if you had a, if you had a mom or a young woman come up to you and, and ask you for some advice, whether they should get into racing or not, what would be your piece of advice for them? Yeah, I would say like, if you love racing, get into it. I think that there, you know, it doesn't just have to be as a driver though. Like think about what part of the industry you really like. I think just like any career, um, you know, do your homework, do your research, see what opportunities you'll have, what obstacles, like where the hurdles are going to be. Um, and, and at the end of the day, if you want to do something, you're the only one who's standing in between getting it and not getting it um, to a certain degree. So, um, but yeah, I think doing your research and doing your homework and having an idea of the different ways that you could go about doing it is really important. Yeah, I do too. Good advice. Yeah. So my last question for you is how can people follow you? How can they? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I am at Julia Landauer at J-U-L-I-A-L-A-N-D-A-U-E-R on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I love hearing from everyone. Um, I try to answer everyone who reaches out because um, it's just really cool to kind of build community that way. Okay, good. We'll put that in the show notes as well so that people have it. So uh, those are the questions I kind of had jotted down for you. Is there anything that I have not asked you about that you'd like to share? You covered a lot. And that was, I really appreciate the, uh, the homework you did ahead of time. Um, and no, I mean, I think we covered a, a lot. And the only thing that I will share is kind of parting words is uh, my favorite quote, which I found on Pinterest. Um, and now the woman and I are friends on, you know, Instagram and we, we message each other, but her name's Arata. And she says, if it's both terrifying and amazing, you should definitely pursue it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's so really great. For what you do as well. Yeah, yeah. So just because it's scary doesn't mean you shouldn't go after it. That's right. And we all have our 
Yeah. Things that, you know, what you said, you didn't like the dark and you lived in New York City. See, I grew up just the opposite. I grew up on a farm in West Central Illinois. So I loved having the window open and hearing the whippoorwill or the crickets or whatever, the, the wind, you know, going through the field that was next to the back part of our house. So for me, those are comforting sounds. Yeah. Those would be scary. Different. Yeah, definitely. But I'm, not sure I'd, I'm not sure I'd want to be alone in an apartment in New York City. Ever. <laughs> oh, so. Fair. You know what? It's just what we're used to. It's what we're used to. <laughs> Absolutely. We're a product of our environment, for sure. So Exactly. Well, Julia, I have so much so, for having me. Yeah. So enjoy talking with you today. And I know our listeners are going to love listening. Well, thank you for having me and for reaching out. And um, I will keep you posted on the other women in the Euro series. That sounds great. And I'll be following you and keeping track and, and reach out anytime if there's anything I can do to share what you're doing or help promote what you're doing, because I'm, I'm here to have your back and support you in any way I can. Thank you so much. It means a lot. Thank you. Thank you.